you're tuned in to the Neo Academy podcast. My name's Mark, and welcome to another episode of Neo Chats, deep dive conversations into the culture of education. Hey, good morning, Luca. G'day, Mark. How are you doing? Hey, not bad. Thanks for, thanks for being here. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Um, and I'm just taking a look this morning at, at the LinkedIn profile and just kind of thinking about quite a diverse um, background you've had. Now, what's your TED talk on, on language learning? Um, I you know, dug in a little bit to, to your, your organization, The Learning Future. Um, and then happened to notice as well that you were a board member on Green Adelaide and kind of dug into that a little bit as well. And just thought it'd be much easier if I asked you to just to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about, about well, for, first and foremost, the learning future, because that seems to be where your, your main area of focus is, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, sure, Mark. Look, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I'd like to start with who I am before, you know, what I do, because I think that that is just an expression of really who, who I am, who I'm trying to be, frankly. You know, and I'm a first generation born Australian. Uh, my parents emigrated, my dad from Northern Wales, not that far from where you are, um, and my mum from Northern Greece. And so I grew up here in, in, on beautiful Ghana Yarta, which is the traditional lands of the Ghana people here. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Uh, so I'm an Adelaide boy here in South Australia. I moved to Europe to Dublin, North County Dublin, in fact, to go play Gaelic footy as an 18-year-old and then travelled across Europe, did the gap year kind of thing as many Australians do down here in the Antipodes, although this is actually the centre of the earth and you're the other side. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, and I really, what I realised was I didn't know really what I wanted to do in the world. And the more that I travelled, the more consistently I saw this foundational principle, which was people that were doing amazing things in the world had been equipped with education and and also had a particular mindset for who they could be in the world and how they could contribute. So I came back to Adelaide and decided to be a teacher instead of a businessman or a media executive, which was some of the, or a doctor, which some of the other options I considered. And thank goodness I did because I am at home in the world of learning. I am a passionate learner, an aspiring hyper polyglot. You know, I'd love to be able to speak seven or more languages before I die fluently. I'm on my way, considering I was mon you know, monolingual at 18 and you talked about the TED Talk. I mean, language for me is just such a window into the human experience. Yeah. Uh, and so then really for the past 15, well, 13 or 14 years now, uh, since leaving university, uh, I've spent my, my time as an educator and then as a school leader, as a policymaker briefly, and then moved into, out of public education into the private sector. I was training and educating teachers and school leaders themselves on design thinking and human-centered design, innovation processes. And then for the past two and a half years, I've really just enabled, well, enabled my curiosity to drive me, Mark. Yeah. You know, I hate to quote a white guy, but, you know, Steve Jobs was right when he said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. And so Absolutely. my life makes sense if I look that way, <laughs> looking forward, <laughs> yeah. it's really, you know, like all things in life, it's emergent. Um, so I am really lucky. I am, I would consider myself an aspiring deep generalist, which is someone mm -hmm. that is not a hyper specialist. I'm not, yes. I don't have a PhD in a specific element. There's a very important role for that in our world. But I think my role is 
emerging as someone that can connect the dots, connect the people, connect the networks, so they become mesh work, so they become ecosystems, so that we can all actually create a more human-centered future together. And that means the way that we need to redesign schools and universities, the way that we need to redesign our companies and frankly, the economic system itself, so that it's purpose-driven, it's a triple bottom line, like all these things fascinate me. And so something that I'm trying to pull apart, Mark, the last part of this is, how do I distinguish between what I'm interested in, which is everything, and what I'm mm -hmm. truly excited about? And I think this yes. is a challenge for anyone with a really deep curiosity, which is my greatest, my signature strength, is uh, what is the contribution that I could potentially make? And so uh, a consulting company called The Learning Future, which is how I directly work with schools and, and in the education ecosystem and beyond, actually, as well, with companies around purpose-oriented learning environments and purpose-oriented you know, strategy, uh, Green Adelaide is about how do we make this beautiful, I mean, look at this background, this is an Airbnb, but you know, how do we make all of our cities, but our city, Adelaide, greener, cooler, wilder, and more climate resilient? And then some of the work from Karanga and Learning Creates Australia, not-for-profits that are trying to do the system change piece, elevating the social and the emotional dimensions of learning, for example, at, at the kind of policy and the system level, all, all the way up to the practitioner level, which is where we should yeah actually position our educators as the amazing hard working professionals that you are, you know, it's a, uh, yeah. So that's, that's my kind of portfolio, typical millennial portfolio of a range of different projects, but it's really like, who am I trying to be? Then what do I know? Or what do I need to know? And then what can I do with that knowledge? And that's how I try to approach everything in life. Yeah, that, that resonates a lot. I mean, what you're talking about in terms of your journey, um, particularly the generalist aspect, I mean, is one thing I was actually about to ask you, and you did you did answer it, which is you know, beyond the level of curiosity, what is it that's driving you? And it does seem to be that way of um, how do I differentiate? You know, how do I how do I find the bit where I can sort of most focus my energies and make the most impact? Um, you know, when, when you are obviously so passionate about so many different things, um, and actually coincidentally, about about three weeks ago, I wrote an article on exactly the subject of why the world needs generalists. Um, oh, great. you know to connect the dots and and I, I do it's one of the things that I do think about the education system and I wonder if you share this that um, <clears throat> specialism is, is is too prized um, you know this I, and I'm not saying anything about specialism we need specialists we need people yes. to to do the deep dives and expand the fields but it's a self-perpetuating loop you know that the whole purpose of a PhD is, is to contribute to the sum total of human knowledge and therefore you yeah. will open things up again um, but we can't all be like that, as you say, because the world ahead of us is fluid, it's complex. Um, we can't be siloed in, in sort of specific areas. You know, um, even in schools, you look at it, you think, well, you know, carpentry does not exist in a separate box to maths. They're obviously both yeah. connected. And there's, you know, far, far more obtuse connections as well, you know, the, the way the, the life works. So <clears throat> do you think that that's one of the, the aspects of education that might be tackled is that we need to kind of de-silo education a little bit. I mean, you know, if I'm if I lay it all on the table, <clears throat> I'd like to see the end of subjects completely. I think it's an artificial divide that shouldn't exist in the real world. And I don't know if that's something that you feel as well. Or I mean, you know, when you talk about making education purposeful and fit for life, what exactly do you mean? What are the specific changes that you would like to see? 
This is going to be great, Mark. I love your insights already. And of course, it's going to be where do we disagree? What might be the greatest challenge for us to find? I, I like to distinguish between schooling, education, and learning, right? Learning is a is key human instinct. It's actually inbuilt into our neurology. You know, universal grammar, we actually prime to learn every language in the world as infants, for example. In fact, even in utero, children are already starting to become attuned to the language that they're hearing, right? Yeah. So, so learning is a foundational act. And so then we have education, which has got a bit more of a formal connotation to it. And then we have schooling and mass education. And so I completely agree with you. I mean, all these principles, like things like discrete disciplines or assessment regimes, high stakes examinations, for example, the nine, nine to three or eight thirty till three thirty, you know, day, the nine to five workflow. These are all industrial principles. They are not yeah. learning principles. And so, you know, we can lean on, you know, the great Sir late now, Sir Ken Robinson, he just really talks about this. Like these are organizational devices. They're not learning mm -hmm. principles. And so, yeah, we should dissolve these are now archaic ways of understanding human growth and development. And, and, and thankfully, you know, the specialists are studying, you know, we look at the latest cutting edge in the effective neurosciences, for example, you know, yes, we need to pay attention to our emotional state because it impacts our cognition. It's not enough just to be like, just to try to think we can just create an academic paradigm solely. And yeah. so that's why for me, it's not forgetting that, but it's elevating all the other dimensions of what make us human. So, yeah, how do we go from discrete subjects to you know, you know, single discipline, multidiscipline, and then maybe even interdiscipline, and then let's go transdiscipline. I mean, that sounds yeah. interesting. So yeah, I definitely see that's more of a learning principle. You have great things like project-based learning or just really mm -hmm. good intentional design or inquiry-based learning that has within them direct and explicit instruction elements. This is not yeah. a is it always is it inquiry or is it direct instruction? It's always an intricate combination of both because as human beings, it's always our lives are a Venn diagram and our learning is a Venn diagram. It's not a spreadsheet. Yeah. And yeah, I just absolutely. think we get stuck in that place. So that's well, my response to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's dissolve the subjects <laughs> and let's actually think about, you know, knowledge, skills, and capabilities, mm -hmm. right? Or yeah. knowledge, skills, and character, and then meta learning, right? If we want to use the four dimensional model that comes from, uh, you know, that the Center for Curriculum Redesign and Charles mm -hmm. Fidel out of Harvard. So, you know, there's these really, I think, great ways of conceiving it. And then a, the biggest challenge for all of us working in education, to, you know, tertiary, higher education, secondary, early years is how do we create that practically? What are the yeah. steps and practices that we can put in place? I mean, it, it makes me think often of, you know, when, when we have these discussions, I mean, I'm very aware that, you know, um, this is this is sort of mini echo chamber here and it's like you say we it'd be more of a challenge to find out what we do disagree on yeah, and and i you know i i definitely i definitely get that and i i often sort of question my instincts and think because you often you have these discussions there's so much sense there's so much you know i think we 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 know it to be true there's an evidential basis to all of this um you know it, they're, they're clearly industrial models <clears throat> clearly the, the advances in in things like neuroscience in the last 20 years uh, last five years mm -hmm. even in particular um, the evidence is just mounting up. And it reminds me of, I, I read, I think it was in one of the Malcolm Gladwell books, talked about um, before they actually took lead out of petrol, there was something like 550 um, peer-reviewed studies out there saying lead's probably not very good um, for cognition and for, you know, uh, for learning development and, and respiratory illnesses and stuff like that. Um, and it was, you know, it, it got to the point where it was almost 600 studies and they said, okay, yeah, we, we, we should take it out. And, you know, it makes me feel the same way about education. It's like, how much yeah. 
how much do we need? I had a chat a couple of weeks ago with um, Jennifer Gross over in the US and she, oh, she said, excellent. yeah, yeah. there's a thing she said that really stuck with me, um, which is that we don't have a knowledge gap anymore. We have a fear gap um, oh. in terms of change. And I wonder where you stand on that, because if, if everything is so, it, to, to you and I, I think it seems very plain what needs to change. And it's not like we don't have answers about, you know, what could go in its place. There's no shortage of ideas here. Um, and the, the question is, why, why are we still talking about this? Why is it still like this? Great, great question. I think three, three reflections from me, Mark, no answers, just reflections. <laughs> the first is I think we underestimate how powerful systems are at maintaining their current state. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't do a very good job at actually pricing in the cost of the current system. What we do is we price how much it's going to cost us to change to the new, a transform digital transformation, whatever it might be. We don't really work out what well, actually how much are we losing in terms of latent human potential, for example, yes. or inefficiencies to the lead point. I mean, you've got lead poisoning. It's going to have a roll on effects for your health system for, for decades to come. I mean, of course you act on that as fast as possible, but systems are very good. You know, even capitalist systems, educational you know, systems, I think they're just very good. You know, this, this systems theory piece around what are the different conditions that we can create um, that shift them. I think that's the first, that's the first thing I would say. I like, I think Jennifer, I've only had one or two conversations with her in different fora. She's a brilliant thinker. And she's right. It's in rather than a fear gap, I like to think of it as a wisdom gap because we don't need more knowledge. We have enough knowledge now, just as we have enough resources to effectively solve every challenge that we need. The, the problem is we are acting with this idea of we need more invention to somehow save us or, you know, so solve climate change or, you know, create <laughs> yeah. abundance. You know, it's actually a scarcity mindset that drives us. Yeah. Whereas wisdom would connect all these different pieces together and you effectively transcend the current level of inquiry. You know, I think it's, I think it's Einstein that says you can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness that created the problem in the first place. Yes. So this yeah. idea, this need for transcendence. And I like to think because I've been so influenced by first nations here in my own journey, I spent five and a half years you know, working alongside and learning from Anangu in the central desert of Australia, you know, they've been doing learning for thousands of generations. And here I was as a, as a teacher with a piece of paper saying, I'm a teacher, I'm going to teach you something. And, you know, of course, it's about empowerment into the new economy. But actually, I learned so much about we have to move far more towards that, that learning side, I think, rather than yeah. the schooling institution side. So systems are very good at staying where they are, I think. Um, how do we get more wisdom? And then in that space, I think, yeah, how, how do we actually try to transcend the current conversation? Because we don't need to go into the political world here, but I, don't, I in my lifetime, don't know of a time that's been so polarized as right now. Yeah. People are entrenched. And so maybe the last point I'd make is, I like the work of Theory U by Otto Sharma and Peter Senge, and these are systems thinkers. Mm -hmm. And it's, we just don't go down deep enough. We think of interventions. We think of programmatic responses. Oh, we need, oh, what's that? There's a well-being crisis. All right, let's create a well-being program and put it on Tuesdays and Thursdays, yeah. as yeah. opposed to <laughs> deliberately and intentionally uh, redesigning the system so that yes. it becomes more human, so that it actually enables all of us to flourish, to thrive, whatever the words, the buzzwords are, 
but that actually is good for the economy as well because it means people are close more closely aligned they're happier collective well-being goes up there's so many threads to pull there mark but that would, those are yeah. some of the reflections that i think quite deeply on and i think how do we shift the system so that and i'm paraphrasing michael fullen here but so that they liberate we create liberating environments and we inform back upwards into the system itself as opposed to having information and come down and then us having to kind of serve that space there's some really interesting points in there and i think that what i'm taking from this is and i see it too it's it's not that we're not it's not that progress if you want to call it that, is, is not happening because it, but it's kind of more the band-aid solutions. It's not that we're not seeing um, a crisis in, in health and well-being. It's not that we're not seeing yes. a crisis in um, skill development and all oh, we need critical thinkers and we need evaluative judgment and we need information literacy and all that. I think, you know, in education generally we see it, but it's exactly as you say that the solution is, it is a little superficial and it is like, well, let's put that in as an element and you just end up filling it with all this stuff. And it, it's it's almost like um, you know recently I think in Australia you guys banned um, essay mills, um, you know the the essay writing services that yeah, were subcontracted right. out by students just happening now in the UK, and the the absolutely universal narrative around that is all, oh yeah well about time they they should it's cheating it's a lack of integrity blah 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 and and and, and I don't see anybody saying why are they so prominent. <laughs> Why are they so necessary? Shouldn't we be thinking about what drives people to do that in the first place? Um, mm. And again, not saying that we can solve every problem, but I think we can do an awful lot better when we start thinking more holistically. I, I, I don't know about when you talked about, you used the Einstein quote, I'm not sure about a level of consciousness creating this, because I mean, I know you're, you obviously take a lot from neuroscience. I do feel like the situation we're talking about is quite limbic, it is quite reactive, it is. Um, yeah. you know, scarcity mindset, as you say, which really is fear-based, mm -hmm. um, yeah. that what we're talking about is stepping forward. And, and I think wisdom, you know, in the front here is, is where we need to be. And that is a scary part of it's letting go, essentially. It's yes. letting go and actually saying, we, we know this innately, historically, before the industrial revolution and all this stuff came in, you know, there was stuff we used to know. <laughs> that we can rediscover and now a whole lot more on the top about why all these things happen and what why things are good for us and you know the different ways in which we can learn and communicate and the different aspects in which we can involve community and the the purpose purposeful um, approach to education and about you know human potential and self-actualization and all that stuff we know it all it's yeah. just the courage to step forward so I'm not entirely sure. I think I might be more with Jennifer on the, the fear rather than the wisdom, but I'm going to reflect on it because you've definitely made me think. And I, I wonder, just to kind of um, ask you, just uh, I suppose it's the last area, is you talked a lot about, um, you know, the polarization in these particular times. And I wonder, just to end optimistically, do you see that the things that are happening right now I mean, I'm thinking really in terms of the pandemic, um, you know, which was a, an existential shock to the education system. Um, you know, a lot of um, very fundamental things changed. Uh, we were talking before we came on online about um, how you unplug from things and, and you, know, you see them at a distance. You step outside the world of 24 hour news and then you come back in and you see it for what it is. You step outside social media, you come back in and you've got this slightly different view. I'm wondering if... Um, 
because we've stepped outside some of the more rigid structures of education, do you think there's more of a chance for, a, for us to use almost the collective trauma as a force for social change, like the Peter Stomka theory about systems change coming from collective trauma? Um, mm. I wonder, do you think there's an opportunity here that maybe this is actually the moment where we can drive things forward, where there's little chinks in the armor? Yeah, absolutely. It's the moment. If we can't redesign our schools after a global pandemic like this, that has re uh, revealed so much about our world, like there's been a revelation here, uh, many of them, in fact, around equity in particular, around yeah. access gaps and learning gaps, uh, you know, around the difference between, uh, we were talking as well about the great resignation, this mm -hmm. idea that so many people are actually saying, well, Maybe I will do a sea change, tree change, countryside option from here on out, and I will change the work that I do. I mean, it's just a really fascinating time. Part of my week I spend thinking about the future of cities as well, just for yeah. my own curiosity. And, you know, what, what is that? How do we redesign the concept of an urban environment in, you know, into the future as well when we we have more and more people moving into these cities, 80% by 2050. I mean, here's the, here's the optimism, right? Keynes said, it's not so much embracing the new ideas as letting go of the old ones. And I think that's the greatest opportunity we have here. The challenge for so many of us, and I'll use my own example uh, as an educator, and I try not to use the word teacher anymore because teacher can, can become transactional. It can yeah. be, I teach, you learn, as opposed to an educator that creates conditions in which everybody expands and elevates. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to be a teacher in 2021 or 2030? To your specific example of, and I wasn't aware of the essay, the essay tool specifically, we just have to look at AI and machine learning that's exponentially yeah. progressing. You won't need these external essay things anymore by and these are the predictions that are out of oh, there's the center for future of yeah the future humanity institute at oxford uh -huh. no yeah. oh, by by 20 2027 ai will be able to write an S, a year 12 essay at the same yeah. level as the year 12 so don't don't worry about the people that are outsourced to do it technology is going to make that task effectively redundant so the big question is how do we use this radically shifting exponential converging technology space to make us increasingly human. And I think it starts with us letting go so that we can pick something else up. And that is hard to do because it changes who we are as people. If you've been driving a truck for 25 years and in 2028, the Tesla self-driving truck takes your job, how do you retrain? You have to, that's an, a level of identity, not just of yeah. skill. Yeah. It's like, I, what, how do I say, well, I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm an educator, I'm a learning designer, a learning guide, I'm an activator, an accelerator. Again, the language isn't the point. The point is a different concept underpinning the way that we move and change. And it's why I think the skill sets that we learn and the mindset that underpins all of that development is just so critical. Because if we've got young people that graduate, you know, my, my six-month-year-old nephew, when he graduates high school, I mean, it's impossible to really know what the world will be, but it will be one that will be filled with arcs of learning that will be lifelong, life-wide and life-deep. It'd be the capabilities that he has to continually upskill to work in this cyber human interface space which yeah. is the fourth industrial revolution 
Yeah, so all that to say, gosh, it seems like a lot. The opportunity is for us to reinvent who we are, not just what we do and what we know, but who we are. And I think it's about bringing in the truly human era, not in the kind of Anthropocene where we're destroying the planet, but also the way that we are creating finally letting go of old systems and allowing the emergence of something new, in fact, actively creating it. Uh, that's my optimistic note. I think we can get there, Mark. And the reason we can is that there are people doing this right now. The future's yeah. already here. It's just unevenly distributed, as William Gibson quipped. Uh, so let's find those lighthouses, those emerging promising practices, and then let's be as courageous, as bold as possible to try to make them the new normal. As the old phrase goes now, it's not so new anymore. <laughs> it's like the old phrase of the new normal, you know, because like the challenge would be we won't be bold enough. We'll yes. actually just, we'll just go back to what's comfortable because we're all exhausted. We're exhausted of the uncertainty of the lockdowns, of the death of illness. We just give us some normality, but I think it's mm -hmm. still going to be in our, in our time, maybe the largest opportunity we have to reinvent a new way of doing things and then see yeah. that permeate out into the new reality. Well, this is why I think conversations like this very much help, not only for, um, People like you and I, and you know, you, you go to attend these conferences and things where you, um, you recharge, you know, because it's not it's not the typical narrative you hear out in the world. And like I say, you know, the conversations like around the essay mills and things like that, you know, I'm beginning, you know, I really felt like the only person on the internet <laughs> at one point saying. But what about, <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe um, change, change the task design. How's that yeah, for a good yeah, idea? I know. Yeah, I thought yeah. I was beginning to question my sanity. So thank you for validating that. But, um, but I think, you know, you know, at, at a smaller level, you know, layer mm. of the onion, it's important on that in that sense, because, you know, you need the energy to, to be out there, you know, I mean, um, lighthouses need power, you know, I mean, yes. uh, you, you're out in these exposed area okay. battered by the elements um you need to sustain yourself you know and and i think that and i'm not putting myself in that category there are people out there truly on the front lines doing that but i think that these conversations are important as well because i think that and i i imagine that there will be people out there listening to this that are certainly um there's something sparking there's new connections wiring or they will wire when they sleep later on <laughs> you know um, and new ideas forming and maybe just new framings of things and even even yeah. just a twist in the language, a twist in the concept, um, you know, just anything to shake up the rigidity of the pattern um, all yes. helps. So in yeah. that sense, thank you for, for your time. I know you've got to head off, um, but thank you for, for contributing to that. And I've got three or four expressions from you that I'm going to unashamedly steal. Um, and uh, a tree change is one of them. I really like that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and you've given me two good book, three good book recommendations as well. Um, so that's a really good start to move on with the day and carry on with a bit more learning. So thank Mark, you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Keep up the great work uh, yourself. And in fact, anybody that's listening to this, I have to end with a final quote as an applied linguist. I do love language. And it comes from Norman Fairclough, who was a British linguist. And it is that consciousness is the first step towards emancipation. 
which we can rephrase as awareness is the first step towards powerful change. And so that's why conversation matters. It's the starting point. And then it's about not just how we reconceive, it's then how do we remake, you know, head, heart, hands. Uh, it's been a delight to speak with you, Mark. And uh, enjoy the trees up there in Inverness. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. I will do. And enjoy the sun in Adelaide. Thank you. Okay. Be well. Take care. Thank you. You're well. Thank you.